0: Welcome to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. September 2020 speaker is author and comedian Evan Syed. Recorded live here at the Stephen P.J. Wood Building in Arlington, Virginia, Evan lectured about woke supremacy, the difference between system and ideology, and the parallels of the previous century to today. So get some cheese whiz on your bagel and take a sip of your cappuccino. As you're listening to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. Are you interested in running for office? Want to work on a campaign? At the Leadership Institute, it is our mission to increase the effectiveness of conservative activists and leaders in the public policy process. We offer over 40 different trainings, including campaign management school, on-camera TV trainings, and writing workshops. If you want to make a difference in public policy, visit leadershipinstitute.org. That's leadershipinstitute.org.
1: Thank you, Morton, and thank you, Deidre, for having me. The last time that I spoke to an organization like this and and gave a lecture along these lines was, in fact, that Heritage Foundation speech all all those years ago. And in that talk, what made it so successful was that I, I laid out the ideology of those that I then called the modern liberal. And I defined the modern liberal as those born after World War II, the babies born after World War II, who became the children of the 60s, who became the powers that be in academia and journalism, education and news uh, and entertainment uh, in the 80s and 90s. And and in that talk, I said that this ideology is getting worse with each successive generation. And the reason for that, I I guess is somewhat self-evident as the last as the influence of the last of the great generations was waning as the those who uh, held this ideology were coming more and more into power through both natural attrition and through some soviet style purging uh, they then began to raise the next generation and the next generation so steeped in uh, the orthodoxies and the narratives of modern liberalism and and so outlawed any alternative point of view that subsequent generations have now become what I call the woke supremacy. So the modern world though is, and, and, and let, me, let me take that back. When you are hoping to start a regime, right, when you're hoping to take over the government, there, there are two aspects to any regime. One is the ideology. And that's what I discussed in, in the kindergarten of Eden, how the modern liberal thinks as well as that original speech. Uh, but the other is the system, right? There's, there's the system of governance and then the ideology that employs that system. So last time in the, in the other talk, I spoke about the ideology. Today, I want to address the system of socialism. And the modern world as I define it, as I slice it, began almost exactly 100 years ago when three things happened almost at once. The first was World War I which left the most advanced cultures in human history physically decimated and financially bankrupt. Because of their participation in that foolish war and their inability to extricate themselves from it, the most advanced cultures in human history, the governance, the system, was seen at that point as no longer viable. At exactly that same moment, two new systems of governance burst upon the scene. One was socialism. Marxism went from theory into practice for the very first time with the Russian Revolution, and what I'll call modern nationalism that came to the world as America rose to be a a world power, as they entered the world stage almost exactly a hundred years ago. These two systems, socialism and what for now I'll call modern nationalism, are diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive and because they are, they have been warring uh, for, for uh, acceptance and warring in any number of various ways, warring through, through actual battles, warring through attrition, warring through proxy, warring through economics. But for a hundred years, it has been modern nationalism, American style nationalism versus socialism. When the German socialists were defeated, and then with the collapse of the Soviet Socialist Empire, it was generally recognized that the, uh, this, this battle had been won. I mean, Francis Fukuyama called it the end of history in that the, the, uh, the search for the best system of governments had been decided. And the winner was the prosperity and, and the progress and the good health and the long life wrought by nationalism, modern nationalism. And the loser, it ended up on the ash heap of history as Ronald Reagan said it should, was was the devastation and the the human devastation, the economic devastation of socialism. Well, socialism is back. It's calling itself democratic socialism this time. But the great argument that I make in my book, The Woke Supremacy, is that socialism is misunderstood to be an ideology. It is not an ideology. It is a system of governance and a way of organizing the globe that any number of ideologies can then uh, embrace. So as I go through my talk, I'm going to mention people like Stalin, Lenin, Hitler, Mao. And I want it to be very clear that I am not comparing democratic socialism to Hitlerism, Leninism, Stalinism, Maoism. Those are the ideologies what i'm comparing it to is the system of governance that is socialism so let's start with with just something so obvious that not even the democrats even attempt to deny it any longer hitler was a socialist i mean it's an awfully hard thing to try to deny when the name of your movement the name of your party is is the uh, uh, the national socialist workers party and the government he controls, controlled uh, all the essential means of production, as, as well as, as the culture itself. I mean, that's almost the, the very definition of socialism. In fact, what the Democrats tend to do is say that Hitler was the wrong kind of socialist. right? While he was a national socialist, the emphasis, uh, emphasis being on his nationalism, they are democratic socialists and therein, at least they say, lies all the difference. The problem is that these modifiers that the left uses to to, to kind of muddy the waters don't in any way actually change the system they all equally embrace. The word democratic, as in democratic socialism, it doesn't refer to, to a system of governments. It only refers to the means by which the individuals intend to first come to power. They intend to come to power through the democratic process and then employ the socialist system of government ownership of all essential uh, industries and de facto ownership through regulations and taxation of, of, of all the others. In fact, Hitler could have well called himself the father of democratic socialism because he too brought his socialist system of governance to the world via the democratic process. At the same time that that Hitler was a National Socialist, a Nationalist uh, modifier, no more proves Hitler to have been a Nationalist than the fact that LeBron James plays basketball in the National Basketball Association, right? James is simply too good a basketball player to play at a local or a regional level, so he played in the National Basketball Association. Hitler was too good a Socialist to to govern on just the local or regional level. So he headed up the National Socialist Party. Hitler's movement wasn't the Nationalist Socialist Party. It was the National Socialist Party. Its name no more proving it to be a nationalist movement than the Democratic National Committee, the uh, National Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, or even the National Sewing Club for that matter. The fact that Hitler wasn't a nationalist should be obvious to to, to even the most casual observer of history. After all, one of the first things Hitler did when he came to power was to destroy the nationalist symbols of, of Germany. He replaced them with the swastika and other symbols of his greater ambitions. At the same time, being a German did not... The the supreme trait wasn't found in being a German as as millions of German Jews testify with, 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 with their treatment. Nor does not being a German prevent you from being a good Nazi. When being a German comes with no special protections and not being a German comes with no disqualifying costs, it's hard to argue that Hitler was a German nationalist. And he wasn't. He was a global socialist, who at least in those two essential ways is no different than, than, than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or your favorite barista at Starbucks. In, in the meantime, the other opportunity is nationalism. So what do nationalists believe? Nationalism gets a bad name because people think of the antiquated version of what it means. See, prior to America's arrival on the world stage, the nationalists believed that, that their king or their czar was anointed by God. And thus their, their, their fealty, their loyalty, was to the anointed, to the crown, to the czar, not to their country and not to their fellow countrymen. In fact, when, when the modern liberal or the woke argue against nationalism, they're actually weakening their own position. Because the nationalism of old is more like socialism in that a uh, a venerated government owns everything within its realm. What the modern nationals believe, and I'm just going to call us nationals from now on, is that the world with its 8 billion people, its 7,200 languages, its 4,200 religions, and an incalculable number of further complicating issues such as climates, varying climates, uh, uh, natural resources, topographies and and whatnot is too complex for the kind of one size fits all policy that globalism and socialism require. You see Hitler tried to take over the world. People who try to take over the world who want one world governance are called globalists. The people who fought Hitler who sought to protect their their fixed borders and their national sovereignties were called nationalists. What a globalist intends to do with the globe differs and can differ greatly depending on the ideology of the globalist, but anyone who seeks one world governance is a globalist. What the nationalists seek to do with their nations can differ and differ greatly depending on the the, the nations themselves. But those who seek to retain fixed borders and national sovereignty are the nationalists. Now, not all globalists, not all globalists are socialists, but all socialists are globalists. In fact, it's written into the very founding document of socialism. It's why Karl Marx made his, his ultimate call to action not just for the people of Russia to unite, not just for the people of, say, Europe to unite, but for the people of the world, the workers of the world to unite in what he intended to be a global revolution. And, and while this idea of socialists wanting to take over the world, being globalists, wanting to, might sound like just the, 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 the dreams of madmen and sociopaths, it's in fact the end game of every socialist. It's built into the system of socialism, whether he screams it with vicious vitriol like Hitler, whether he delivers it in market-tested sound bites like uh, 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 Elizabeth Warren, or whether he puts it to a happy tune like John Lennon. Are you looking to launch your career? Do you want to gain real, professional experience while sharpening your media skills? Then apply today to be a Studios Intern here at the Leadership Institute. As a Studios Intern, you'll master Adobe programs and get behind-the-scenes access to media professions across the board. Just go to leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. That's leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. You know, I, 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 I always find it odd when I attempt to give this talk, that in, in the same sentence I'm talking about Hitler and John Lennon, you know, they're the most evil person to have ever lived and the nicest guy to have ever lived. But that's exactly the point, is that once the socialist system is embraced, it takes over above ideology, right? It's the system itself that is evil, and, and this is something that Orwell recommend, uh, recognized. But if you look at the three requisites of paradise, because every socialist ideology is a utopian ideology, what they believe the perfect world will look like differs according to ideology. But Marx and Lenin and Stalin promised a worker's paradise. Uh, You and I might not agree, and I sure hope we don't, but Hitler envisioned the perfect world of his imagination. Uh, Mao imagined the perfect world of his imagination. And the three requisites for, for the socialist utopia, whatever vision of utopia it is, are the same, and they're laid out by the lovely John Lennon in the song Imagine. It's imagine there are no personal possessions, no possessions, no countries, and no religions. Well, no countries is the very definition of globalism. No possessions is exactly the economic model of of, uh, of socialism and no religions. Every socialist entity from Marx to, to today has had a uh, vicious antipathy for, for religion and religious people. Now, in the lovely version of paradise that John Lennon wants us to imagine, by eliminating personal possessions, you'll eliminate the need for greed. He says it in the song. By eliminating countries, you'll eliminate the xenophobia. Uh, And and by eliminating religions, you'll eliminate the the wars that come from believing you have God on your side. It it truly is a nice vision, I guess. Uh, their, Their hope is for peace and love and understanding. But in order to get there, in order to get there, there has to be some pretty atrocious behaviors. This has been true not only of every other socialist entity, It's written into Marx's theory in the perfect theory of the perfect world. This is before even human beings tainted with with our own sins and our own shortcomings and our own failures in the perfect writing of the theory. Marx says there must first be a dictatorship of the proletariat. There, that's the stage we're in in America right now with the woke supremacy. The problem is no socialist entity has or even can ever pass through. The dictatorship or the proletariat. And even in the most lovely telling of the song, at the very end, what John Lennon promises us, it promises us is that all the people, all the world will live as one. That's the promise that every socialist has ever made. The only difference is who the one is. Who the one is changes according to each ideology. According to Lenin and Stalin, the one was the worker. According to the German socialists, the one was the Aryan. Who the one is, are, according to this democratic socialism. I don't want to talk ideology today. That's the, that's the subject of my other talk, but we can give them a name too. So, so while it was the Aryans under German socialism, and it was the proletariat under Soviet socialism, those who possess the supreme trait today are called the woke. Just who the woke are. You know that Again, that's, that's in my previous book, The Kindergarten of Eden, How the Modern Liberal Thinks, and it is in fact revisited and expanded and expounded upon in this book, but I don't think we'll get to it today. But they are the people who, who, who possess the supreme trait, and in order to create the utopia they desire, they must get rid of all the others. In order for all the people to live as one, all of the others need to in some way be dealt with. Now, while we don't yet know exactly how the democratic socialists intend to rid the world of the others, and the others, according to Lenin, according to John Lenin, are those who believe in the right to the fruits of their own labor, those who believe in the protections that national sovereignties bring, and those who believe in the, the higher moral codes that religions offer. Those are the people that have to be taken care of, dealt with, in order for the world to live as the one, all of us being woke. Now we know how previous socialist administrations, regimes, took care of their others. Stalin and Lenin took care of the others with gulags and and, uh, exile to frozen tundra and uh, permanent confinement to mental institutions. Hitler went with the more effective and efficient gas chambers and ovens, while Mao went. look to save on on material costs and, and went with mass starvation and the killing fields. And while we typically associate those atrocities with the individuals or with their ideologies, the truth is that gas chambers and gulags and killing fields are not ideologically driven. Who is sent to them is. Hitler didn't dream of a world. He didn't imagine a world with gas chambers and ovens. He imagined the paradise he imagined after the gas chambers and ovens had accomplished their purpose. Mao didn't imagine a world with millions of bodies littering the fields of China. He imagined the paradise of his imagination after the killing fields had accomplished their goals. Lenin and Stalin didn't imagine a world of of gulags and and, uh, exile and, They imagined the workers' paradise that would come after the others had been silenced. Well, if they could have just snapped their fingers, if they could have just waved a magic wand, uh, if they could have just clapped their hands and accomplished exactly the same goal, ridding the world of all the others, they would have. Their goal, that that was just the dictatorship of the proletariat. That was just the thing that needed to be done to take care of the others. Well, those were just the technologies available in a more primitive cancel culture. Nazi Germany was a cancel culture. The Soviet Union was a cancel culture. Mao's China was a cancel culture. And today's democratic socialists are trying to inflict upon us a cancel culture. They simply have more advanced technological means of doing so. They can write code. And while, of course, it's less bloody, and thank God that it is, and it's less deadly, and thank God that it is, it's, it's also more easily hidden because you don't need train tracks and you don't need guard towers and you don't need uh, death camps and gulags. It's more, it's more easily uh, hidden, it's more easily denied, and most frighteningly, it's more easily employed prior to winning the revolution. See, up until now, those atrocities, the the, the canceling of the others, could only have been committed once they had taken over the government. Because you need the government money, you need the government resources, you need the government uh, manpower in order to run a gulag or or a gas chamber. But today, all you need to do is write a couple of lines of code and accomplish the same ends that the previous socialist regimes sought to accomplish, which is the silencing of, of all dissent, the silencing of, of, of all the others. And in fact, this is exactly what Orwell warned us about right in, 19, in, in the book 1984. Right? Orwell's genius didn't come from his recognition of the authoritarianism, the totalitarianism of socialism. This was well known by any and all, and as I said earlier, even written into to, to the founding document, the dictatorship of the proletariat. Instead, his genius came from the recognition that it would be technology and how technology is used to accomplish the same authoritarian and totalitarian aims as every other socialist regime that has ever been. Orwell wasn't warning about authoritarian or totalitarian in general. He wasn't warning about Hitlerism or Stalinism or Leninism or Maoism in particular, all of which, by the way, occurred during his lifetime and gave him ample opportunity to, to, to write about them. If, if he had wished, but his warning was about the system of socialism no matter what ideology next came to embrace it. The, the next question is, given the history of socialism, it's only 100 years now in practice, and yet in every single case, whether it was Nazi Germany, et cetera, et cetera, it has, it has ended in human devastation, economic failure, just the, the worst of the worst of the worst. Why would anybody wish to try it again? But apparently the democratic socialists do. And the reason they do is because socialism is by definition a supremacist ideology. What every socialist in the past has said was the problem wasn't the system of global control and government control of the whole globe. The problem was in the ideology of the others. And so they each then conjured a new and this time truly perfect ideology, which once it was fully implemented, this time would actually bring about paradise. And and so up until this point, I'm putting ideology totally to the side in the fact that it is a uh, socialist, globalist and supremacist movement that is part of a cancel culture. There is still no difference between those who now call themselves the woke and, and and every one of these evil regimes that nationalism has been fighting for the past hundred years, since we both arrived on the stage, on the world stage, and uh, 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 duped it out for which would be the system that, that would bring peace and prosperity to the world. In addition to having given themselves a name, the woke, The democratic socialists have given a name to those of us who oppose their socialist, globalist, supremacist ideology. They call us haters. Now, hate has absolutely nothing to do with either the ideology or the system embraced by those of us who oppose the woke supremacy. It's simply a word that they have chosen, like all supremacist movements do, to dehumanize and and dismiss those who get in their way. It is no different than how the previous Democratic Party supremacist movement in the South, in the old South, called called Black people the N-word in order to dehumanize them and dismiss them. And it's no different to how people, some people call Jews as a way to dismiss and dehumanize them. They simply call us haters. The reality is, as one might suspect in a supremacist movement, it's actually the woke who are the haters. And I don't see how anybody could look at the way that they've treated President Trump and his supporters, who could conjure any word other than hate, to 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 describe their their emotionalism. And whether you believe that that the uh, those who support President Trump deserve to be hated is irrelevant to the conversation at this point. Every supremacist believes the other deserves to be hated. And besides the fact that the in the latest socialist violence, they've been attacking uh, the Lincoln Monument, uh, the, the, the Vietnam War Memorial, tombstones at veteran cemeteries. makes clear it's not even Trump that they hate. It is America that they hate. And why they hate America, again, it goes back to their ideology, and that's for, for another time. But I want you to keep in mind that every other supremacist movement that has ever been also saw America as as their enemy, whether it was the secessionist white supremacists of the South, whether it was the Japanese and German supremacists in World War II, whether it's the Islamicist supremacists today. Every supremacist movement sees America as its enemy because nationalism and supremacism are diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive.
0: Thanks for listening to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to share and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. To listen to more Breakfast, head over to the Leadership Institute YouTube channel. And to see who our next WWCB speaker is, visit our website at leadershipinstitute.org. The Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast podcast is produced and edited by Alexander Chang, with support from Tiffany Roberts and Jared Cummings. Advertisements by Alexander Chang and Christopher Olson. Executive produced by David Fenner and Morton Blackwell.